Dude, you guys, what's up? Good morning. It's me, Hildy. I always say that like you guys know me. Hey, it's me. Oh, it's you. Yeah, no, it's me. That's okay. We're going to get to know each other. Lucky us. Uh, good morning. Not sure if it'll be morning when you actually listen to this, but it's morning right now. And it is really morning, you guys. We are like pre-dawn over here on the West Coast of the States. Because here's a little tidbit about the histamine intolerance, which I'm going to talk about slightly more today, but obviously we're going to talk a lot about it some other time coming up. But in the preview part two, so I've decided this is going to be the preview part three. So I think we're going to do a three-part preview and then we're just going to dive in. That sounds reasonable, right? I like that setup. So that's what I've decided to do. And I'm going to start with a tiny tidbit about histamine intolerance because it's so fascinating, you guys. So in preview part two, I was mentioning that histamine is implicated in a plethora of bodily systems and functions. And one of those is helping to mediate our circadian rhythm, right? It's like our internal clock regulates when we at least think it's time to be awake and be asleep and get hungry and digest, not digest, what have you. Histamine, you guys, histamine. Mm-hmm. Histamine. So fascinating. So guess what happened when I cut at least as much histamine as is possible to cut out of one's diet, which you really started to do in earnest last summer. The most fascinating thing happened eventually once it was out of my system for long enough and, you know, on a continuous basis. <laughs> you guys, I started waking up at like 4.45 in the morning. Boom. Every fucking morning. And I am not joking. And that's not an exaggeration. And sometimes I, I mean, often I'm starting to wake up at like 3.30 and then, you know, dozing, coming to again a few times. But yeah, somewhere between 4.30 and 5 a.m. I am awake awake for the day consistently <laughs> every fucking day. No alarm clock. I didn't try to do this, right? Because previous to this, I would have said that I suffered from, you know, whatever it's called, delayed sleep phase, something, something. A lot of individuals with ADHD end up having this, or at least struggling with this type of thing, which means our circadian rhythms are totally fucked up. And that's part of why people with ADHD tend to stay up so fucking late and have such a fucking hard time getting up in the morning, which is exactly what it was like for me previous to this, my entire fucking life. I mean, I used to get teased about how crabby I was first thing in the morning. Hmm. Although you guys, I've realized morning equals a transition, right? Transitions are hard for me. I mean, easier now. I love getting up now. I know it's ridiculous, you guys. But anyway, so there you go. Histamine helps mediate our circadian rhythm. And now that I avoid it as much as possible, my circadian rhythm is almost entirely aligned with the sun and not quite the sun. I mean, I'm not quite up with the sun, down with the sun, but it hasn't changed. You know, even with the time change, I feel like it shifted a little bit, but that's probably because I was going to bed later, whatever, whatever we just did spring. I fucking hate the time. You guys, it's such bullshit. Can we just be done with it, please? Jesus fucking Christ. Why? 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 Okay. Today on today's episode, we're going to do a special episode, but you know what, you guys, we're going to have these probably fairly frequently. So they will probably become less special as we go. You'll get used to them. Hopefully they'll be fun. They will be called corrections and clarifications. 
from the previous episode, you know, because a lot of my shit needs to be clarified eventually. I kind of need context. You need, you'll need context. Sometimes I'll say things (laughs) and they won't be entirely true or accurate. I mean, they will within whatever context it is that I'm bringing them up. But from the outside, I will definitely say things that can be misconstrued. And part of the time, I won't give a fuck, right? Because whatever, I can't control how you guys interpret whatever I say, you know, but there will definitely be times that I say things that may be inaccurate medically or scientifically, or I don't know, make me sound racist, which actually is one of them today, which you know, again, maybe I didn't sound racist to anybody, but of course I have to go back and listen to these things 8,000 times. All right, less than that. But so when I'm listening to all of this as I'm editing it, I don't know, certain things jump out at me that I'm like, mm, mm, mm. and I'm not really into pandering to you assholes out there, which honestly, when it comes to the racism stuff, oftentimes you guys, it's woke white people getting on other white people's cases for things that are not actually racist. And I hate it. I can't stand it, you guys. Fucking woke white people. You know, and I don't say woke is in like, you know, how asshole politicians on the right use woke. I mean, we should be woke, right? I I hope that's the goal, you know, in that we mean progressively treating everyone equally. I know it's so woke, right? So different than the norm, isn't it? When I use the word woke, I use it, I don't know, ironically, I guess. The people really, really trying like super hard to be woke, but I'm not quite sure of their intentions because the way they go about it is like so misguided and off the mark that often it seems to do more harm than good. So I'm not really into pandering to those types of people, but I don't know, sometimes I'll probably make clarifications on what I say about race, because you know what? Race is really hard for white people to talk about for the most part, right? But you guys, we need to talk about it more. Mm -hmm. And even if we say things that then someone lets us know later was not completely sensitive to the reality that people of color face, that's okay. That's how we learn right? That's how this gets easier. It doesn't get easier if we don't do it. But if your intentions are good, the vast majority of what comes out of your mouth is going to be totally fine and not offensive and not insensitive. And sometimes you might misspeak. Sometimes you might say something, one, you didn't mean. It just comes out. That happens to people, I guess. And I'm not just talking to people like me. I'm talking to all white people. I'm talking about all people, people, people of all colors. Let's talk about race. Seriously, let's just talk about it. I don't know. We grew up talking about it in my family. I don't know. I think I was the one, you know, One of the rare white kids growing up talking about race. So we talk about race with our kids and we always have. Uh, It's just skin color, you guys. I mean, on the surface, right? There's slightly more to it than that. But anyway, we'll talk about race. So you guys, you know what I did though today? When I said shit's getting real, I meant it. I made a list of the things I wanted to bring up in this corrections and clarifications episode. I know, I know. I did mention last time my misadventure with the whiteboard and the mind mapping, whatever the fuck I was trying to do, because it's true. That sort of format, I, it's too jumbled for me. My, <laughs> my brain can't. Mm. When my brain is, when my eyes, God, this is so weird. It's going to be so weird to talk about my sensory stuff, you guys, because I'm only obviously realizing how deep it goes. All these things that are just your reality that you struggle with and you have found workarounds for that you use without thinking all day, every day. Yeah, it's really weird to stop and go, oh, I actually struggle with that. And I bet you most people don't. Hmm. 
So when my eyes are seeing, reading, so usually reading, we'll put that way. When my brain is reading information through my eyes, written down, typed, you know, on a screen, whatever. It can only handle that information in like a linear sequence, right? If there's stuff all over the page, like out of order, which is what like mind mapping is, right? Which is also consequently what like full page graphic novel, writer, comic book style layouts. Oh my God, you guys, I can't fucking read comic books and graphic novels. I can't do it. My brain doesn't know where to look first. It doesn't know where to start. It doesn't know how to like take in the information because it's not linear. It's not sequential. My brain, mm -mm. when I'm listening to something, that's totally different. I can actually listen to more than one input at sometimes, sometimes, and get, you know, information coming from various sources at various times. I mean, Jesus, wait until you guys hear about my writing process. You guys, my writing process is intimately tied to my dancing, <laughs> right? What the fuck does that even mean? Wait until you hear. I mean, that's a huge part of how I realized the dancing was even what it was, is because of the writing. I know. I know. We're going to get to that. So anyway, when it comes to writing information down, like on a whiteboard or piece of paper, whatever, I'm still old school, you guys. I do a ton of shit in a notebook with a pen. And I have like one notebook that I use now and I found one pen that I got. It's so funny. You guys, I have no rituals and routines. However, I have all the rituals and routines, but they're like little weird ones. Yeah, that's why that piece took me a long time to figure out. But anyway, my point is I may not be able to do mind mapping, but I can make the fuck out of some bullet points, you guys, for real. So that's what I did. I just made a list and I bullet pointed it. I know. I have a feeling other people who make podcasts probably do like prep work for each episode. Some of you out there probably do like a lot of prep work for each episode because like you interview other people, I think, because that's a big thing with podcasts, right? And that takes prep work. I mean, it wouldn't for me. Well, I mean, it would. I'm just bad about like the prep work and writing shit down, being prepared. I'm not good at that. But I'm getting better. Almost feel like real people some days. See, you can hear my notebook. All right, you guys, let's start. Okay, number one. And so this is probably going to be, you know, a lot of the corrections, clarifications I make are going to be because I do not want to give you guys scientifically inaccurate information. That is not what I'm here to do. I don't want to do it. But I misspeak a lot or I leave miss, you know, like I leave information out. It happens. So when I was talking about how autistic individuals like me present and what we look like to psychiatry as an institution, I brought up disorders like borderline personality disorder, bipolar 2, which are other mental health diagnoses with symptoms and traits that overlap pretty heavily with autism, which is why we often look like that's what we're struggling with. And in addition to now realizing a lot more why that is, now that I've explored all of those things, much, much more. The other main point I wanted to bring up is that they're also highly comorbid, which means they show up together in the same individual a lot. So that's the other piece, you guys. That's why all of this is really hard to tease out, right? Because they look, <laughs> not only do they present the same, you very likely could have more than one along with a, you know, a whole host of other comorbidities, you know. So on paper, right, I've got major depressive disorder. Um, I don't know if I have both generalized anxiety disorder and social anxiety, but yeah, we got some anxiety thrown in the mix. I even have an oppositional defiant disorder <laughs> diagnosis, you guys. 
I was diagnosed like years before the ADHD. Can you imagine a grown woman being diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder and nobody thought to look beyond that? I know the things people don't want to see that are right in front of them. Anyway, so I just want to put that out there because that's a really important piece, right? It's it's not an either or situation with those three, especially. It could be all of them. But I also think that, I don't know, maybe they're not as comorbid as they seem. Or maybe the rates are lower. I don't know. This is definitely something I think we need to tease apart because I, I do feel strongly that the autism piece is being left out for a lot of people who are struggling with it because it looks like borderline or bipolar or because they're also struggling with that comorbidly. But that's sort of overshadowing everything else. It's the manic piece for a lot of us, you guys. I mean, obviously it's the depression piece too, but I really think the manic piece for us sort of high energy, right? Because it wasn't until I learned about sensory seeking autists. That was much later in the book Unmasking Autism by Dr. Devon Price, which you should all read like today. Yeah, I was like, oh, sensory seeking. Hmm. Right? Because I always thought of autism in terms of avoiding things too loud too bright too much that's not the case for all of us surprise that's why some of us listen to loud music eat spicy food drive really fast pull stupid fucking stunts you know do things that we know will hurt (laughs) that's us yeah anyway so and i'm really high energy right you guys maybe can tell i mean i talk about my triple latte anima in the mornings i mean i don't really take one but My husband likes to joke that I do, but it's every day and it's cyclical, right? It's not, that's the thing. It's not outside of my norm, which would be the diagnostic criteria for something, especially like bipolar. This is my norm. (laughs) This is my norm every day. And when I get in those funks, which I still do sometimes, obviously a lot of that is hormonal cycle related, but uh, we'll also get to that. The whole podcast can be TMI, you guys. It'd be great. (laughs) Anyway, I can pull myself out of it now, right? Yeah. I can. I'm going to show you how. All right. So that is our first order of business, you guys. Borderline personality disorder and bipolar are comorbid with autism. It's not an either or. It can be an and. I mean, it can be an either or, but it can also be an and. So I'm going to let you guys know that. Okay. The second thing was, oh, I was talking about the study identifying the four subtypes of autism very exciting. And I was actually telling my cousin about it last night. So I went back and refreshed my memory from the article I had read, you know, which again, should be part of the the prep work I do. But see, that's the thing. I don't really know what I'm going to bring up half the time. So it's kind of hard to prep for that. You know what I mean? But I want to make the clarification because I mentioned that two of the groups they found had above average intelligence. Specifically, what they found is that those two groups have above average verbal intelligence, which is not exactly the same thing as just intelligence as an umbrella term but obviously it is a key factor within autism right because a lot of autistic individuals are completely nonverbal, and it's definitely an area in which we struggle so it stands out right then that there are groups of us who possess above average verbal intelligence that's a really big deal for us because the language piece is a struggle for a lot of people for a lot of autistic individuals for a lot of people in general you know Words are hard sometimes. Um, So anyway, I wanted to make that clarification. It was not just above average intelligence across the board. It was above average verbal intelligence. Not that these individuals don't have, you know, above average intelligence in other areas, but that was the specific criteria breakdown for that. Um, 
Oh, right, the racist thing. Okay, so I mentioned why I mentioned who doesn't like watching white people get down, right? And I was like, I do. That's how I find my people. I realize my people could be misconstrued in that sentence because I'm talking about white people. So I just want to clarify that what I meant by my people in that instance, and actually when I say my people from here on out, I'm probably just going to be talking about autistic individuals. So I meant other white people who get down, right? Are my people in that we're white and we get down? Not that like white people are my people, right? Like that's not what I was saying. But see, that's the kind of shit, that's the kind of shit that the Karens of the world, I don't even, maybe not the Karens. God, I think of the Karens as the racist ones. The woke Karens, the woke Karens of the world, you know, would try to crucify me over. So I'm just going to get out in front of it. But also because I think we should be talking about race. So that's, you know, a way to contribute to the conversation is to bring it up. So I did. I brought it up. What do we want to talk about next? This is so fun, you guys. I'm just going down my bullet point list. Oh my God, this actually feels really satisfying. I should be checking them off. Oh, 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 right. The histamine intolerance connection to autism. I assume that many of you who know enough about autism already know about the histamine connection, or at least that autistic individuals tend to have a lot of allergies and sensitivities. But fascinatingly, I've come to find out, a lot of us have allergies and sensitivities that don't show up through traditional allergy testing, which is exactly what happens with histamine intolerance. And specifically, yeah, actually, I probably shouldn't go into this because then I may go off on a bit of a tangent. But I did specifically want to mention why I even bring up the histamine intolerance in the first place, right? It's connected to autism. I actually think at this point, I I will drop this one. I'll just drop, I'll just get this one out of the way. I think, I hypothesize at this point, and of course, this is, you know, I'm going to share all the resources I use to put this together. But one of the conclusions I've come to, you guys, is that I wonder now, I wonder, wonder, whether histamine might be, for some of us, the biological environmental toxin that affects embryo development in like that, what, 24th, 25th week of development. And I was reading about it in the intense world theory of autism. Again, something everybody should go read. Okay, I mean, nobody wants to read the actual study. Well, I mean, you should if you can, but I'm pretty sure that's the ticket, you guys. I'm pretty sure the intense world theory of autism sums up a lot of this. Um, I mean, I don't know anything about it, really. I mean, I do, but obviously I'm not a professional, whatever. But when I first read that, and this was before I came to my like conclusion, conclusion December, I was actually came upon it when I was researching the benefits of cannabis on autism. But that was last fall, um, I think. Anyway, it was some number of months before I, I really realized. Um, but when I read it, I was like, <gasps> that's my life. I mean, the intense world theory of autism, you guys, it just describes my life, describes my experience every day. That's it. They've mentioned that they, you know, they pinpointed this point in embryonic development around the 24th or 25th week where something, something, it seems like some sort of toxin, potentially, something happens to affect development from that point on. What if it's histamine for some of us, you guys? What if it's histamine? And honestly, you guys will not believe the fucking evidence I use to put that together because a lot of it is wrapped up in my own development, like my gestational development, my kids, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot and it's, it's pretty mind blowing. So that's my hypothesis for now. Because, you know, the other piece was that when my autistic symptoms, remember I said I quit smoking pot, my histamine intolerance symptoms started kind of 
cropping up in earnest then. And I was dealing with, oh my God, sensory stuff just over the top, even compared to what I usually deal with. That was a large part of the struggle in the months after my dad died is that my sensory stuff was just off the, off the map. I mean, it was, I was, I was barely functioning because of my, my sensory sensitivities, you guys. I was barely able to function. One noise, I mean, I was startling to the point I was ending up in a pile on the floor in tears. Seriously, from like a dog barking. I mean, just could not handle. Come to find out this kind of thing and all the behavioral things that I started collecting (laughs) consciously throughout last summer and realizing that they were related to autism, all of these things, they were all made worse when I had histamine in my system. And they were worse, you know, the severity rose along with the amount of histamine. And these are the symptoms that started being helped in a major way when I started cutting the histamine out of my diet. And now I know whether I have histamine in my system because these symptoms start coming back. And one of them is being overheated, like seriously overheated. But, you know, reading in Temple Grandin's books, she, I'm trying to think of which book it was. I think it might have been her original Thinking in Pictures that she then did an update on 10 years on, I think, with updates specifically on, you know, the medication piece and all of the things we've sort of discovered since then, right? Corrections and clarifications or just added info, right? We always want more info. There's more info out there. We want it. But she talks about that autistic individuals, right? We deal with anger management issues. I mean, you know, neurodivergent folks in general. You guys, I have a serious temper. (laughs) I have a serious temper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those scary people. Mm -hmm. That's me. And it's especially bad when I have a bunch of histamine in my system. Because part of that is stemming from the fact that I am so insanely fucking uncomfortable that I cannot handle literally anything. I am severely heat sensitive and I always have been. Cold tolerant for sure. Well, I mean, part of that is because I won't realize I'm even cold. (laughs) For real, you guys, I will be sitting, you know, doing something, writing, obviously hyper-focused on something and I'll come to and I'll realize, you know, I can't feel my fucking feet because I've had them resting on the cold tile floor for like two hours. You know, and I just didn't, they're like numb now. (laughs) And I just, I didn't even notice. But the instant I even start to become like too warm, oh, no, mm -mm. it's like alarm bells start going off. I'm like, ah, and I'm just immediately looking for ways to cool myself down or to keep myself from getting too hot because I know what will happen. And it's not pretty. And so I think of these, I think of it sort of like eruptions, right? You can sort of like feel it coming on. You just feel your temperature rising, right? And then it just starts. It's almost like, you know, that feeling right before you break out into a sweat, your surface body temperature has risen and it you start feeling kind of prickly, right? And then it's like, uh, it's like, uh, it's like the tension right before it like bursts and then you start sweating. So it's that feeling um, and it's everywhere. And it's just, and like, I know it's coming. Oh. It's so bad, you guys. And so then if I explode, which is how I think of it, um, I erupt, right? That's how I think of it. I've just, if it gets bad enough, if I cannot cut the heat, the temperature, my temperature, um, I erupt. And when that happens, you know, it sounds exactly like the description Temple Grandin gives in the book where she's describing autistic individuals who are helped by 
beta blockers who exhibit like hot, sweaty, unfocused rage when they might sound out of breath. You guys, you guys, if that is not a histamine eruption, I don't know what is. And I mean, I'm not saying that that's the case for all autistic individuals who experience things like that. What I'm saying, though, is that that perfectly describes my experience with histamine. And now I haven't looked into enough about what beta blockers do, you know, within the body to see where that connection might be, where they may be influencing, you know, I don't know, some bodily systems in a way that may make up for the sort of erroneous mast cell activation, which is what's going on within histamine intolerance. We'll talk about that all that nerdy science shit. All right, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent about histamine, but I wanted you guys to know why I brought it up and why it's going to be such a big part of this, because I think it's a big part of autism, at least for some of us, right? Because that's the thing. Autism stems from the physical, biological differences we have in our bodies, like physically, right? It's not just a psychiatric issue. And honestly, I wonder if it should even be in the DSM at this point. I mean, you know, that's probably misguided to say, but like, that's how I feel now that I've researched it enough and, you know, looked back on my, I mean, yes, obviously there's a psychiatric piece, right? But it's all fallout from the biological stuff, the physical stuff that we're dealing with, I think. So yes, psychiatric care, mental health support, obviously that's going to be a huge piece of autism, but to see autism stand alone within the DSM is kind of, I don't know. But then you know what? I'm sure there's probably physical basis for a lot of the things existing in the DSM. So that's why I, I, we just, we don't have it quite right yet. You guys, we don't have it quite right yet. So we're going to get there though. It's very exciting. So there you go. There's a histamine intolerance piece. This is so exciting. You guys, we're just going to move on to the next thing. Oh my God, this is so cool. Oh, right. I just wanted to tell you that, you know, I really wanted to edit out the awful mouth noise that I make (laughs) when I talk about my verbal diarrhea in the morning. Not only do I talk about verbal diarrhea and talk about, you know, coffee enemas and shit, then I make this like horrendous like noise when I'm, you know, pantomiming, when I'm verbally pantomiming. I don't know. How do you do that? Verbally pantomiming? What it's like for me to have verbal diarrhea. Anyway, those are the types of noises that I fucking cannot stand. Yeah. But it felt really like sort of inauthentic to like remove it and then it would have been sort of awkward. And then like I wish it was slightly shorter, but then it was also awkward to try to just cut half the word off. So word like it was a word. Uh, I couldn't cut half the noise off, okay? Uh, But it felt inauthentic to take it out completely because those are noises that I make on a regular basis. You guys, I make weird noises. I know, it's crazy to think about. Who knew? So basically, this is just an apology. I'm sorry that I made you guys listen to that. I promise I will not do shit like that very often because I would hate me if I were you. Uh, oh, Oh my God, I just did it. I just did the noise, see? See what an asshole my brain is? I was like, don't worry, I won't do that shit to you. And then I immediately did it. You guys, this is why I can't reel people very well. Um, Oh, right. This is actually something from preview part one that I wanted to. Oh, actually, there are several things from preview part one that I should probably correct and clarify, but 
I'm not going to, just this one. I brought up all the weird serendipitous shit that has been swirling around my entire autism disco. Like the whole thing for months now, pre-discovery, but it ramped up once I really realized that the answer was for sure autism that week before Christmas. Dude, you guys, dude, you guys. And clearly my brain is good with patterns. It loves patterns, right? Which is weird, you guys. I think my brain deals in pictures, language, and patterns. Is that a thing? Because it seems to do all of it. But anyway, it really likes patterns. So I definitely think that accounts for a large part of how and why I tend to notice these things or pick them out more than other people. But that cannot account, oh my God, for all the fucking things that have been happening to me. Weird connections, you guys. Weird shit is happening. To the point I'm going to have to dedicate an entire episode just to fill you in on all the weird shit that has been happening. But that one, in that one, that one, whatever, the one I'm going to talk about right now, the one I brought up in the preview part one, about my ancestors, my architect ancestors, and I brought up the Bohemian Grove. What I was saying was they weren't founding members, or I should say he, there was just one of them. He, my great-great-grandfather who emigrated from Ireland. So he wasn't a founding member because... The Bohemian Grove, which has been all up in the news, right? Because of Clarence fucking Thomas. Asshole. Everyone's like, oh my God, this guy's such an asshole. Did, um, hi, have you not read the news ever? He's always been an asshole. Jeez, I really hope nobody on the left is surprised. I hate that left-right divide, but it makes it easier to talk about, I guess. Um, okay, so the Bohemian Grove, right? It's this fancy camp. Literally, it's a, it's a fancy camp. It's a camp for... The rich and famous, um, but not just the rich and famous. It's like the movers and the shakers, right? It's the politician, the businessman, and the people with the power, influence, money to actually make things happen. Uh, they go there, what, yearly? They have their retreat for a couple of weeks, and it's just, you know, debauchery and brouhaha. Um, and it just so happens to be in the Redwoods, less than 20 miles from my fucking house, you guys. Seriously. <laughs> it's located in Sonoma County. That's where I live. And I had no idea my ancestors even had a connection to it, nor did I realize really what it was or where it was. And like my family is not from this county. My family is from the Bay Area, but not from Sonoma County. But turns out my great-great-grandfather was traveling up to Sonoma County from the city. Uh, because the founding members of Bohemian Grove were like journalists and writers, right? Sort of... <laughs> lower level society types, but you know, smart, creative people. And then within some number of years, the elites sort of swooped in, took it over, but they were able to, you know, fund and support it. They bought up more of the land around it, you know, expanded the actual camp. And that's really when it became what it still continues to be. And my great, great grandfather was part of that process. Mm -hmm. He was one of the elites. He was one of the businessmen. But he was also an architect. So he still sort of retained that like artist side of things, right? So he could still be, you know, one of the sort of artistic faces, you know, ambassadors. But he was also wealthy as fuck, super successful. And so his name, you guys, is actually listed on the Wikipedia page for like notable members of the Bohemian Grove Club, whatever the fuck the, you know, organization is. I know. And this is shit I only just realized, I only just found out about like in recent years. Actually, I may not 
have found out about the Bohemian Grove until I was doing more research after my dad died. So within this last year. So I realized not only does my ancestor have a connection to the Bohemian Grove, it's right here where I live. And then all of a sudden as, and you guys, I'm going to talk about my ancestors. Mm-hmm. Because I'm pretty sure, you know, <sighs> neurodivergence has been hiding in my family for a long time, a long time. A long time. Because on my dad's side, it went architect, architect, engineer, engineer. That was my dad. He was the last engineer. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Visual, spatial, putting the puzzle together in your head. Mm-hmm. And innovative, dude. My great-great-grandfather, he was a super innovative architect. He was one of the first to do all sorts of shit, right? Like have an actual bathroom in the house as like an actual room in the house with hot water and plumbing pumped in. He was either the first or one of the first to do that in San Francisco. How fucking cool is that? Anyway, so that was weird. All of a sudden, right, I'm getting geared up to like do this podcast. And one of the things I will eventually be talking about are my ancestors, the architects, one of which was a member of the Bohemian Grove. I actually don't know if my great-grandfather then took that on afterwards too obviously was not the case by the time my grandfather was around but um yeah yeah that's you know the other neurodivergent piece you guys my family was apparently wealthy and successful (laughs) until the depression so i think at this point i've pieced together just bad investments you know and then they lost it all like my family was really wealthy i know i know now we just are um anyway so I want to bring up that clarification because I sort of started to tell you that and then didn't finish it. And that's mean. But that's just one. That's just one thing, you guys. It's just one thing. Okay. Oh, yeah. This is, ooh, but this is an important one. So I want to talk more about my dad. I know. I realize I haven't actually talked that much about my dad, even though I'm making this podcast and in his honor. Hmm. Funny how that works out. Um, so not only am I dedicating this podcast in honor of my father who passed away, you know, he happened to pass away in April, which is Autism Awareness Month, you know, and thinking and writing more about his life after he died is a large part of how I came to this realization without a doubt, right? Because I had already kind of figured it out a couple years ago. But there's more. It's not just that, right? Because my dad was an engineer. You guys, my dad was actually really fucking cool. (laughs) And that's the thing. My dad's work is all in the news right now. Mm-hmm. Because my dad was an electrical engineer. My grandfather was a mechanical engineer. So they were very close. And so essentially, my dad was both. He did both mechanical and electrical engineering, like hands on. He was the dude that all the younger guys still came to, right? Because he had the, the hands on skills and knowledge and expertise to actually do it all. He knew how to do it all, right? It wasn't just computer-based programs and shit. A lot of new engineers don't. That's, you know, the shit my dad knew's not taught anymore. Sad. 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 Because, yeah, he had a lot more to give. But anyway, so he was an electrical engineer. And for the most part throughout his career, he worked for the defense industry. Mm-hmm. Not directly for the government. Most people don't who work in the defense industry, but he worked for various defense contractors, as did my grandfather. And what my dad specifically did was he designed guidance systems for missiles. And what he primarily worked on, especially in later years, were the guidance systems for missile defense systems. Boom. (laughs) All those systems that are flying around the planet right now. Everyone's super interested in uh, the U.S.'s missile defense systems. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
my dad uh, helped design the guidance systems. It's pretty cool, right? So that's my dad. He was an engineer. He was like a total square, right? But he loved music big time. My dad loved music. He always had it playing. But fascinatingly, my dad was not musically inclined at all. <laughs> like couldn't carry a tune, was not coordinated, could not dance. I mean, just he just didn't have any musical talent. But he clearly couldn't live without music. We had it on all the time. And I was a major daddy's girl. Surprise, I was a tomboy. I idolized my dad from day one. And my dad hated kids, you guys. <laughs> I know, that's a sad part of our story. My dad never wanted kids. Yeah. And then they had three. Um. Anyway, so... I stuck to my dad like glue. Mm -hmm. I didn't care that he didn't like kids. <laughs> I was like, sorry, I want to be wherever you are. What are you doing? I'm going to come with you. Seriously. And I had such a huge like fear of missing out. I have really early memories. Come to find out not everybody has early memories like this, but I have really early memories like mm, four, maybe five, four, yeah, four or five. Uh, getting up early on like Saturday mornings because... I mean, he was gone, you know, for work all week. And then on the weekends, my dad was extraordinarily handy. My dad could do anything. He could make anything. He could fix anything. And I'm talking like with a lathe <laughs> and not even a rudimentary lathe, professional lathe. Seriously, my dad was awesome. But anyway, this often meant that on Saturday mornings, he got up first thing and he like would go to the hardware store, right? Because there was always something he needed for that weekend's project. Or he just wanted to go buy new tools because that's what he liked to do. It's one of the things my dad collected was tools. Holy shit, so many tools in his shop. Oh my God. Or he was getting up early to go. He had a couple really, really good friends that he had grown up with in the Bay Area who he was still friends with up until the day he died. And they were heartbroken. It was awful. Those were terrible. I made all those phone calls and they sucked. Anyway, he was often also getting up to go help a friend do something physical, right? Work on their cars, move stuff, you know, work on the ranch, like whatever. And I wanted to make sure that I could go with them. And no way was he going to like wake me up, right? And like, okay, get dressed, we're going. No, my dad didn't give a fuck. He probably didn't want me to go. So I would wake myself up super early to make sure that I didn't miss it. I didn't miss my dad leaving for the day, or at least for the morning, so I could tag along. So I remember I would get up. I have memories of like hearing him in the shower or hearing him up, but like he was going to go shower and get ready. And so I didn't want to miss, you know, I didn't want to wait on the couch and fall back asleep or something, right? So I would just sit, like huddle on the toilet, you know, in a little ball and just sit there and wrap my arms around my knees and just rest my head on my knees and sort of doze like while he showered and got ready. <laughs> Also, I didn't miss being able to hang out with my dad for the day. So, you know, that's how much I idolized my dad. Unfortunately, our relationship was very complicated. We'll get into more on why that is. So we were not always so close. We didn't, you know, end up being super close. But anyway, so my dad always had music on and I was always with my dad. So it didn't matter where we were. If we were at home, you know, he had it on the big stereo in the living room. Uh, he had, you know, his little portable radio in the garage. He had it on in the truck, you know, or whatever we were in going wherever we were going. He just always had music on. So that was a huge influence, obviously, 
on me. And my dad loved that I also loved music. And so he supported that in me. I mean, he's the one who got me my first, well, obviously my dad was a huge techie. You guys, my dad was so into tech, all the latest and greatest. And again, he loved music and everything had to sound really good and, you know, high end everything, you know, so I was like eight or nine, eight or nine. This is, so this contributed to me being able to create my mask, right? With all those hours spent listening to music and lip syncing, dancing in the mirror. Because my dad got me a receiver, a CD player, and gave me, you know, his hand-me-down JBL bookshelf uh, speakers, little ones that he had. I mean, little ones, they're pretty big, but I know, I know, pretty cool, right? So I wasn't, that's how I was able to turn the music up so loud, you guys. Uh, and it sounded good, too. So... My dad was super disco, you guys. That was the thing. Like, he listened to all sorts of music. My parents listened to a lot of folksy stuff. My mom was big into music, too. We'll get to that. But he also loved dance music. For real. I mean, I grew up, we were blasting, you know, Madonna and Michael Jackson. My first mixtape. You guys, my first mixtape was made for me by my dad. I think I was like seven or eight. It was before my CD player. Obviously, it was a mixtape. And so before the CD player, he had gotten me. Um, I think I had like a devil. Dude, I, yeah, he got me all these. My dad hooked me up, man. I mean, he never really, you know, hugged me of his own accord. Actually, my dad like never hugged me. And he never told me he loved me or he was proud of me or anything like that. But he bought me nice things some, sometimes, at least when I was little. Uh, less so as I got older. But anyway, so he loved music. He loved listening to it. He would sing along-ish, you know, like under his breath, you could hear him. He would like say the words. He was often talking to himself out loud hmm. or he would you know tap out the beat sometimes you'd hear him on the arm of a chair or something yeah mm-hmm. I know. so music was clearly also vital and foundational to his being and he supported that relationship between music and me music and me so I mentioned that I would spend hours in my room every day listening to music, lip syncing, dancing. My parents had nicknames for all of us. I mean, my mom still does. We have nicknames for her. We just all do nicknames. There's a lot. Nobody's ever called by their real name. My parents ever called me by my real name. I always just think I'm in trouble. Even as an adult, like right now today, my mom said my real name. I'd be like, mm-hmm. So anyway, the main nickname that evolved for me, for my dad, well, one, it was Bear, which has a whole backstory. We'll get to maybe. But it was Boogie, you guys. My dad called me Boogie. Mm-hmm. I know. That was his nickname for me. He called me Boogie. Because <laughs> I was always in my room listening to music really loud and dancing, right? And it wasn't just in my room. As a kid, I was, you know, putting on performances for people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just, music is my life, you know? I mean, my husband jokes that when I arrive at a destination, you you always hear me before you see me, you know? <laughs> so music's like, so loud. Windows down, music blaring, driving fast. Oh, it's like therapy, It's like therapy. So that's the other connection to my dad, right? My relationship with music was supported and facilitated by my dad. Oh, and that's the other cool piece, you guys. I'm podcasting from his chair. So that was one of the things I got. And I actually got this. This was actually before my, slightly before my dad died. Long story. But I am now in possession of my dad's recliner. And you guys, I'm not a recliner person. We're not recliner people. I've never owned a recliner in my life. I don't know. It's just not my style. I mean, it's comfy as fuck though. I can see why people like him. And my dad was a big guy, right? He was 6'3". And so apparently they shopped around forever for, you know, sort of a big and tall recliner. And I, I mean, I think this is just a lazy boy, right? But it's like a brown leather huge lazy boy recliner it's still in like really good condition super comfy as fuck but because it's made for like tall people dude you guys i can sit in it and like i feel like a little kid right and that is never the case for me i'm five nine you know 
Often chairs are too small for me. Things are too small for me. I'm like, don't, it, people, you know, things are made for short people, right? Counters are too short. Shower heads are always positioned to everything. You know, my microwave, I try to cook. Oh my God. Again, who designs fucking kitchens? These fucking microwaves that like hang over the stove. So I'm literally like, it's in my face for real. That's how low it's positioned. It's like in my fucking face while I'm cooking. Who designs this shit? Short people. Pants are too short. Sleeves are too short. Everything's too short. Fucking short people. But anyway, then I sit in this recliner. Oh my God. And when I sit all the way back, you guys, my feet don't even touch the fucking floor. I know. Dude, I feel like, I feel like, is it Lily Tomlin? Is that who I'm thinking of? She had a show. I have like brief flashes of memory being a kid and watching it. She's like sitting at a huge like wingback armchair or something. But she like looks really tiny and she's almost like Raggedy Ann-esque. She's got like a big book in her lap and she reads stories, kind of kicks her feet around. And, and I remember being both fascinated and terrified by her voice. Anyway, I don't know what show I'm thinking of. I'll have to go look it up. But that's what I feel like, right? I feel like I'm in this huge oversized chair. It's like Alice in Wonderland or something. It's so fucking cool. So anyway, there you go, you guys. I podcast from my dad's recliner. How cool is that? I know. And I was thinking about it last night. I was feeling a little sad. I'm not going to lie. That like, you know, I didn't get cuddles and hugs from my dad, but I get them from his chair now. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool. So that's the my dad piece. And then hold on. I got to take a break and pee. And then we're going to do the last piece. I'm going to yell at my cat to shut the fuck up too. So don't go anywhere. All right. Check a one, two. We have to do that again. <laughs> do it again right every time we sit down check a one two all right let's finish this up where were we i'd be drinking my coffee there's my lover editing from here on out i do believe come along coffee chop chop all right um the fuck else was i gonna talk about oh hey i can just refer to my bullet points <laughs> look at that also i'm now watching the sunrise that's how i like to do the mornings you guys all right oh we were talking about my dad music oh yeah Okay, so I was telling you guys about the body parts that I was sort of unearthing as I was losing weight throughout the year last year, and then more so, you know, since December. I mean, not that I've lost more weight, right? I've been able to stabilize my weight loss since then. But doing more and more of the dancing means that I am, you know, developing. Well, you guys, it's kind of been a delicate balance, right? Because I wasn't eating enough. And so I was having less and less energy for the dancing. And exhausting myself dancing, unfortunately, was not, I don't know, it doesn't quite qualify as the right type of exercise, I think, to like tap that hunger piece uh, when I'm really in my, you know, not wanting to eat phases. So you guys, I have lost an insane amount of muscle mass. Oh my God. Because I have one of those fancy scales, right? I think it's what Arbo Leaf. You know, I don't know how accurate any of this is or how much, you know, they base it off of actual scientific info. I don't know. I mean, it seems pretty accurate. The scale, honestly, at least weight wise, is always almost exactly what, you know, the doctor's scales are. So that's at least accurate. But I have used it to track all sorts of stuff, right? It tracks, you know, body fat, bone mass, all of that. It's got little sensory things that you stand on. It's fancy. But I'm a huge nerd for biometric data you guys did we talk about this did i mention that i'm a huge nerd for biometric data and so potentially hilariously my watch my apple watch is actually going to feature fairly heavily in my story i know i'm not actually an apple fangirl but my husband did work for apple for a very long time and so you know he gives me these pieces of tech that I'm expected to use. And it took me a really long time. My first watch, of course, he got for me years and years and years ago. I think it was an original one. And I just didn't, I never wore it. It just sat in the box for like, I don't know, years, I think, before I was like, oh. And then, and see, that's what it usually takes, you guys. Not really a Luddite, not really. I'm just sort of like a slow adopter, 
You know, I usually just don't see the point of new technology. I'm like, eh. I remember my mom, you guys, my mom insisted on buying me my first mobile phone, you know, and this was like back in the day. So it was, God, did I have a flip phone to begin with? I don't remember. I eventually had a flip phone. I had a cool fucking white Nokia flip phone, you guys. I love the shit out of that thing. I mean, eventually that was like right before I got my first smartphone, I think. Anyway, that was also a lot of years ago. But yeah, my mom insisted. It was after I moved out at 18 and uh, I was living, you know, 45 minutes away from them or something. And so when I come home to visit, you know, I was always going up and down the freeway late at night. And she was like, oh, you need a phone. What if something happens? I mean, this is like the late 90s, I guess. I'm like uh i'll do what people have been doing for decades which i'm pretty sure has been to find help some other way like what the fuck mom anyway so she insisted she like bought me one she's like no no you need this I'm like, so anyway the people in my life usually insist i start using new technology and then eventually i get really into it and then i'm like why what, what was i doing before this why was i not using this where have you been all my life anyway so that's what it became with my watch and you know now i have a at least slightly newer one it's still pretty old most of my tech is pretty old you guys because i just don't give a shit does it still work? Great. I don't need the latest and greatest fancy whatever. I'm like, eh, does it still do what I need it to do? Fabulous. We're good. Um, anyway, what I was going to tell you guys about. Oh, right. I was talking about my body parts, unearthing things. Oh, right. I was talking about all the muscle mass I've lost since my dad died. I mean, that's sort of like what I'm basing my weight slide on. It had started before that with the histamine intolerance, but really picked up speed after my dad died. And you can see it, right? On the tracking piece, it's just like a cliff. After my dad died. And then more, more, more cliffs. Series of cliffs after my dad died until we sort of flatlined there at the bottom. Thankfully, we did it when we did. So yeah, I've lost like, I don't know, 30 something pounds just in muscle, right? Because I just stopped eating. I know. It's not a good way to lose weight. Yeah, so that's been the hard thing is trying to balance now eating enough with the dancing and then exercising. So I knew that actually exercising, which for me equals hiking. And we have like a string of parks that start a couple blocks away. So it's like city park connected to a regional park connected to a state park. So I don't have to drive and park anywhere. I can just walk, you know, from my house, walk over the park and then hop on a trail and up and over the ridge, back down again. And then, you know, ta-da, back down in my neighborhood. So it's perfect. It's like just under three mile loop. And, you know, it takes me 40 some minutes usually, depending. Depends on if I run part of the trail or not. I also do trail running. Anyway, we're going to talk a lot more about that. But so I started hiking again because I knew that hiking was the one thing hiking as a form of exercise and I don't know what the difference is between that and the dancing I mean obviously it's a lot more well it's a lot more exertion I guess in you know longer chunk of time usually I'm usually not dancing solid for you know 42 minutes or whatever so I knew that by hiking I would sort of ping my appetite back into existence and it worked right but it's still a delicate balance so I'm still not I'm still not eating exactly as much as I should be every day but you know I'm eating more on some days and on others so I think I'm just naturally falling into more of a intermittent fasting schedule but you know not like a daily window but more like a 5-2 type intermittent fasting schedule and maybe not quite I don't know, it might be four, three at this point, but you know, where I'm sort of going by the week, right? And this is what you have to do for kids too, right? Especially little kids and babies. You guys don't freak out if they don't seem to be eating enough 
on any given day. You look at how much they're eating over the course of a week, because some days they're going to be way hungrier than others, and that's normal. Normal. Same thing goes for sleep sometimes, especially for babies and little kids. But ideally, they're getting a lot of sleep every fucking day. Seriously, stop waking your fucking babies up. Just let them sleep. Stop trying to put them on your fucking schedule and just fucking let them sleep. Oh my God, people, don't wake up sleeping babies. Why are you guys doing this to yourselves? Holy shit. Anyway, I know, I realize you can't always just let a baby sleep, but seriously, you guys are... Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Anyway, um, so some days I'm eating more than others, but I'm not losing weight. So, you know, it's a delicate balance, but I seem to be holding steady. I don't exercise when I haven't eaten enough, you know? I'm not like trying to, <laughs> not trying to hurt myself. I do that enough anyway, right? I'm already fucked up enough. Like I don't need to do it to myself. But um, when I do eat now, I eat mostly fat and protein and that's sort of by accident. And I'm going to tell you guys all about that, but it is working for me. That is not to say that I do not eat any it's not to say that I don't eat any sugar. I do still, but I primarily eat fat and protein. And it's primarily fat, you guys. Most of my diet is fat right now. I am one of those people. We're going to talk all about it. And I'm not saying you should mostly eat fat. That is not what Hildy's saying. Don't do that to me ever. I'm telling you what I'm doing and what's working for me. And that's it. And I'm going to back it up, right? With the research and the evidence. We are going to talk about Dr. John Rady's work quite a bit. Dr. John Rady, who is, ooh, I even wrote this down, Clinical Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Some of my ADHD cohort may know Dr. John Rady because he co-authored the book Driven to Distraction with Dr. Edward Hallowell. They have co-authored more than one book together. They've worked together quite a bit. And then we're going to talk about some of Dr. Rady's work from some of his other books that I've read, but we'll get there. Anyway, so I'm still developing muscle, just not quite like I used to. But the more I unmask, ooh, which we're going to get to, that's another thing I want to talk about in part three here. But so over the course of the beginning of this year, as I've been focusing on the dancing and, you know, at least trying to make myself eat more and succeeding for the most part, there was another key place that my weight loss started unearthing. And I'm trying to think, I think I noticed this one right around the same time as the calves, actually, as my shoulders or my upper back. I guess shoulder. I guess that's shoulders, upper back. What are they? Your delts? Holy shit, you guys. Holy shit. They're insane. They're insane. So that's part of what I was going to mention just now because I talk about dancing and so I can't even imagine what type of music you guys are imagining I dance to. I don't know. I'm curious to find out, but I will tell you because see my form of dancing, I don't need dance music, right? (laughs) It's not all dance music, you guys, or which you would think of as traditional dance music. It's certainly not all disco. Yeah, it's so funny. I have a whole playlist. I made this years ago, and it's primarily the playlist previous to this that I used most often to generate the kind of energy that my dancing does because it's high energy. You guys, it's so complex. It's so complex what it can do. Man, I have so much cool stuff to share with you guys. But so yeah, there's a whole lot of, you know, throw your hands in the air. The weed get to you and all that, right? So, hence the shoulder piece. But that was the first, I'll give you a little teaser here. That was one of the first key pieces of info that I used to figure out that it was related to my autism is because that movement that makes my shoulder muscles, my neck muscles so insanely strong and defined is a shrug. It's a shrug. And when I was reading more about the types of physical movements that you tend to see, especially in kids, it's shrugging. Mm -hmm. So there you go. 
That's why those muscles are so huge. And that piece of it is more the dance music that I listen to. That's more a, you know, gets my hips and legs involved. That's more standing dancing. See, because my dancing can be done anywhere. Standing, sitting, whatever, right? It's it's however many body parts I have available to throw in the mix, really. And a lot of the music I tend to dance to is high energy music like Beastie Boys, The Prodigy, Fat Boy Slim, <laughs> which is potentially not the type of music people are really thinking of. So I'm going to share some of the more recent music that I listen to at some point when we talk about music. But just to give you an idea, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about dancing. I mean, yes, like I said, there's dance music, actual what most people think of it's dance music thrown in the mix. But yeah, I do a lot of high energy electronic dancing music there's a lot of like alternative electronica alternative pop type you know i don't know you guys there's so many fucking genres of music now indie pop electronica like i don't whatever jesus how do you guys keep track of all this stuff oh my god there are you know and my music tastes are pretty varied but there are a few types of music i i just do not listen to because i do not like them I'll tell you about those later. I'm going to lose a bunch of fans probably when I say them, but whatever. Fans. Do I have fans? When I have fans, I might lose them. Anyway, so yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. So yeah, when I say music, it's not just going to be like, you know, dance, pop, radio type music like you think of it, because it's not necessarily the type of dancing I do. I do do that type of dancing, but there's another type of dancing that I do with other types of music. So I'm going to throw that out there. Okay. And then it's actually a fairly important one and we'll finish up with her. You guys, for real, I cannot believe that I told you all that I look like sexy now. Seriously, I'm struggling with the idea that I even like posted that podcast, whatever preview thing it was. Saying things like that is mortifying to think about slightly. So, oh my God, that was hilarious. My little squirrel friend just came. You are so funny. They're such assholes sometimes. Oh my God, they're so funny. Anyway, he's knocking over pots and shit. What a brat. Uh, it's probably because I'm out of birdseed, right? Squirrels benefited too. Or the nuts and stuff I put out there. Um, I feed my little squirrel friends too. Readers of the blog will know that. Anyway, sorry, I distracted. Squirrel, I literally just got to <laughs> You guys, this is real life. This is real life. I literally just got distracted by a squirrel. That's my life. Okay, so part of what that is, is me unmasking, right? Because my mask has reined me in, essentially is what it does. My mask, you know, smooths out the edges. <laughs> it gives me a nice, shiny, structurally sound facade, you know? It's like a veneer. It's like a varnish. I'm a little rough around the edges without it. <laughs> surprise it's like a filter yeah it's kind of like right running your selfie through a filter or whatever you guys do i don't know i don't take selfies but i think it's what people do right smooths out all your wrinkles puts makeup on like i don't know whatever yeah it's kind of what my mask does but one of the ways in which it does it is that i couch everything in terms of like maybe oh i think potentially and then i don't like to talk about the fact that i'm smart or pretty or talented right or looking sexy as hell or whatever right i don't generally tend to talk about that stuff because when i do i just sound like an arrogant bitch that's all anybody ever takes it as and dr price talks about this in unmasking autism it was like life-changing to read dr price essentially give me permission you know to just talk about myself honestly even if that sounds bitchy and arrogant and boastful to other people. Because those are just facts. They're just facts. And I have a hard time with facts when they relate to me. I don't know why. I mean, I do know why. Because people give me shit for it my entire life. 
Because people don't like smart people. I know, right? Poor smart people podcast, remember? But that's the thing, you guys. People don't necessarily actually like smart people. I think people like the idea of smart people. And they like smart people under certain conditions. But smart people make other people uncomfortable. And we don't, we're not even trying, right? We're just being ourselves. And we make people extremely extremely uncomfortable, extremely uncomfortable. And so people like smart people when they can use us for some sort of benefit, right? If they can benefit from us being smart, that's great. But if us displaying our intelligence makes other people either look or sound stupid once in a while, that is like so, so not okay. That is completely unacceptable to most people, you know, and I get it. I hate feeling, looking, sounding stupid. I do. Everybody does. I've had to work really hard to fucking get over it. So it's cool. I'm going to help y'all get over it too, because it's important. We need to get over it because my intelligence doesn't shut off and on. Well, I mean, it kind of looks like it does from the outside. It sounds like it does, but it's always there. You guys, I can't, that's it, right? If I'm smart today, I'm going to be smart tomorrow. And, you know, if smart today means that my opinion aligns with yours and that's okay, but smart tomorrow means my opinion that I can back up with evidence does not align with yours. Ooh, yeah, that's not okay for most people, right? Then not only am I smart, I'm loud. I'm very loud. I'm a very big, loud person and personality. I'm just, you know, endlessly entertaining, right? But like only in bursts, only in like snippets. This is part of why I've become a recluse. (laughs) You guys, you know, people love people like me at parties. I'm fucking great at parties, you guys. My husband jokes that he just finds me somewhere, you know, holding court. I'm just surrounded by people and I'm animatedly telling some, you know, story. Everybody's laughing. I mean, it's just that's, you know, but that's what it feels like holding court. There's a separation between me and everybody else. And that's how it's felt my entire life. And I realize now in this way, this is how part of how I've been describing my autism up until now, but I didn't know it, right? These are the things I've all tell my therapist. Now I hear them described by other autistic individuals. And I'm like, fuck, it was that the whole fucking time, you guys. So what I've narrowed it down to, this was some years ago, the most accurate description of how autism has felt to me, my my specific brand of autism and how it has affected me and my relationship with other people over the course of my life. I feel like an exotic animal at the zoo because everyone is dying to see the exotic animals at the zoo because they're fucking exotic. <gasps> they're fascinating and they're entertaining and they're beautiful, right? And everyone wants to like crowd around and gawk. Oh my God, it's something new and novel. That's how I feel. I'm the one in the cage. I'm the one in the enclosure. And there's always a barrier between me and everyone else. Everyone comes to peek in and ooh and awe and be entertained. But at the end of the day, they go home and I'm alone again because I can't leave my enclosure. I don't get to exist in that other world. Just like animals at the zoo don't get to, you know, just take a stroll outside of their enclosure whenever they want to. I I can't exist in that other world. I'm too loud. I'm too, you know, scary. I'm too dangerous. (laughs) (sighs) Nobody can quite anticipate what I'm going to do at any given moment, right? I need special handling. I have a special diet, right? I just, seriously, it's such an apt analogy. And then, you know, I can sort of see sometimes all of my other neurodivergent sisters and brothers out there, non-binary individuals, all existing in their individual enclosures or cages, right? And we're separated even from each other. So we can see and hear and talk to each other, you know, but we can't quite get, like, it's hard 
(laughs) It's hard for us even to get to each other. We're all separated from each other and we're all definitely separated from you guys. That's how it feels to me as an autistic individual and an autistic individual who, you know, doesn't struggle socially, who is gregarious and outgoing and who genuinely loves other people. In short bursts. See, that's the thing. You guys can only handle me in short bursts. Well, guess fucking what? I can only handle you guys in short fucking bursts too. Funny how that works out. So hence, again, the podcast, great platform for me. So I think part of masking is the work that we as autistic individuals unconsciously do to keep ourselves tucked away in our enclosures. It's not just that we've been placed there by society. It's that we have learned, at least we've taken on the idea that we can only exist there. But that's not entirely true, right? But not only does society uphold those barriers between us and neurotypical folk, we uphold them ourselves because we have to. We've learned we have to. If we don't do it at all, nobody ever comes to even visit us. We don't see anybody, right? Even for those little snippets, those little glimpses of like human connection that we ever have with other people, we have to work really fucking hard for them, really hard. So I just want to reiterate that when I said that's not at all my style to be like, dude, I look sexy as fuck. It's not at all. So me sounding boastful and arrogant and full of myself, I'm consciously just trying to be honest. But that's often what it sounds like, huh? From the other side. And so that's why I just not honest about myself most of the time or, you know, haven't been up until now. But that's a huge piece of the unmasking. A huge piece of the unmasking for me specifically is being able to just talk about myself in what really are objective terms that I'm smart, pretty, funny, talented, you know, capable, good with people, etc. Those are just facts, but they're hard for me to say. I'm just practicing saying them. So I really wanted to make that distinction that like, you guys, this is not normally how I talk about myself myself on any given day. I mean, I think too, I, you know, I used to more when I was younger, right? Because I was just, you know, we're all bigger assholes when we're younger, right? Like I was so full of myself. Oh my fucking God. You know, that's the course of my life too. It's also been this weird progression from like, dude, fuck you guys. I'm the fucking coolest, smartest person ever. <laughs> I really believe that at some point in my life. Or I don't know, I made myself believe that I think that's what everyone seemed to think I believed about myself. So I just owned it, I guess. We'll talk a lot about that. But I never really felt that deep down inside. I th- think maybe I don't know I don't know that's something I'll probably have to reflect on more but definitely as I got older and life got harder for me when people would say things like that to me right because people are complimenting me all the time you guys that's been my life you know I just had a stranger tell me how beautiful I was like last week. I mean, it wasn't like weird and creepy. She was like an older woman and we were you know hitting it off at the farm buying our produce um I hit it off really well. <laughs> <laughs> I get along really well with, well, boomer women, yes. But honestly, it's it's women on that like boomer Gen X divide. I don't know. We tend to get along famously. But anyway, as I got older, you know, and people were still saying these things about me, I started believing them less and less. I was like, yeah, but I can't be that, you know, fill in the blank because look at my fucking life. Look at how much I'm struggling. Look at how much I can't do what other people can do. You guys, I officially went back to school to try to finish my degree. Like, I don't know half a dozen times or more, like separate attempts, sometimes at separate schools over the course of like, Jesus, I was doing that into my 30s, you guys. Yeah. So we're talking over a decade of just trying, trying, trying and failing. And then I turned nannying, you know, baby slinging, whatever you want to call it, into a career. 
And then that's it. I stayed home, had my own kids. You guys, that's it. I have no degree. I have no work experience beyond nannying. I haven't been in the workforce for a lot of years. You know, so while I knew that like, yeah, sure, I was intelligent and capable and talented in a lot of ways, it, it didn't seem to matter. It didn't seem like it could be entirely true because I'm a total fucking fuck up. Or at least that's what it looks like from the outside. By society's standards, you know, no degree, no job. No savings, no friends, really. I don't even see my family. I'm a total recluse. I mean, it just, you know, it doesn't seem to fit, right? So I'm really trying to get over talking about myself, honestly, because, you know, I've been cowed a lot. You guys, is this the word I want? I don't know. People have made me feel really bad about myself for talking about myself, honestly. Mostly it's been my family. There's a reason I'm not speaking to them. There's a lot of trauma there to process. And like I said, like, I, you know, the trauma's been there. I've been processing it. It just has a decidedly different flavor now. And it seems even more intense than it did before. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there because it still is weird for me, you guys. Doing this podcast is part of the unmasking for me because people have been telling me I should do something, you know, akin to this for fucking ever. People have been telling me I have a radio voice since, you know, back in the day when people said those sorts of things. And I am the type of person who, like, I literally people tell me in real life that they would love to subscribe to my newsletter. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm that person. Literally, my psychiatric nurse practitioner one day whatever this was, a couple years ago. God, was it a couple years ago? Not quite, but sometime in 2021, uh, year two of the new plague years. Anyway, I was paddling on about whatever my, you know, current medical research was. I was still chasing my symptoms before I figured out the histamine intolerance thing. And I was telling her, ooh, I was telling her about systemic nickel allergy syndrome. Do you guys know this is a thing? I'll tell you about it one day. It's fucking fascinating. But anyway, the end of the appointment as I'm leaving, she's like, I always learn the most fascinating things from talking to you. <laughs> mm -hmm. I hear that a lot. So there you go. I've essentially been told my entire life. And so that's part of my unmasking is I think everybody's right. And I should be doing something like this. So here we are. I'm doing something like this. Lucky you. All right. I'm going to review my bullet points here. Is that everything I want to talk about? This is so cool, you guys. Seriously. I made a list and then I just like went on the list and I told you everything I wanted to tell you. God. Wow, I feel accomplished. I feel accomplished. Look at what we're doing together, you guys. Look at what we're doing together. All right, um, I think I'm gonna be done for the morning. Sun is up. Dude, it's now like quarter to eight. I know, I know. It's late in the morning for me. It's still early in the morning, I think, for a lot of people on a Sunday morning. So I'm Hildy or Hilda Mac. This is my autism disco. This concludes the preview part three. And I think we're now just going to launch into the actual podcast. I don't know when I will have the next bit posted. I don't think I'll ever know. I mean, I, who knows though? Look how far I've come already. Shit, I could be on a schedule by next week. You just, you can never tell with me, you guys. I know I keep you guessing. It's, it's exciting. But anyway, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Um, see you next time. Peace out, bitches.